Welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor Podcast, a show dedicated to teaching professionals and entrepreneurs in the MedTech field how to save more money, pay less taxes, and become financially independent. Join certified financial planner, professional Matthew Nelson, as he draws from years of experience and speaks with guest experts to solve the biggest challenge, aligning your money with your values, while thriving in the mission-driven world of MedTech. Hello, and welcome to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast with your host, Matthew Nelson. Matthew, good to be with you again. This is an interesting topic that you have in store for us today, talking about restricted stocks and restricted stock units. I'm sure it's going to be interesting, and I know looking at the notes, we're going to break this into two parts. So where do we start today and what's going on? Yes. Uh, you know, and and actually, after doing a lot of our research, I, I decided we have to break it into three parts. There's so much oh, to it. Okay. But Today we're gonna we're gonna cover this big topic about uh, restricted stocks. So you know, last episode we talked about one of the most common equity compensation benefits that are in companies. So the employee yeah. stock purchase plans. This topic we're gonna talk about today is probably the next most common. It's available to more people, and so it's you know whether you're public or a publicly traded company or a private company, it, it could apply to you. Just a lot of times depends on your position in the company and so mm -hmm. forth. So what we want to do is we're going to dive into, first of all, what are they? How do they work? Just big picture. And then we will, in a follow-up episode, talk about, well, how do we maximize the benefit if you have this benefit in your company? And final piece of the series, we'll probably do a three-part series here. We'll talk about some mistakes to avoid. So that's the, that's the big picture idea of how we're going to flow through it. I got um, a really quick question before we start, Matt. Sure. Is there a difference between restricted stock uh, units and options? You know, yes, there is. There, okay. So what we're going to talk about today are restricted stock and restricted stock units, which are similar. They have a lot of things in common, but they're very different than restricted securities, which is a whole different topic. It has to do with stock that's not actually traded and involves a different scenario altogether. Okay. Restricted stock... And restricted stock units are similar. One one actually is a stock that you own right away and you're waiting for a vesting period to pass before you can take advantage of it. The other is you're waiting for a vesting period to pass before it comes to you. And it really represents the uh, the price of the stock, but it's a unit. It's not actually the stock. So one's really the underlying stock. The other one is actually a unit or a representation of them. Okay. We're going to probably talk uh, about both of them interchangeably. I'll, I'll make sure to say restricted stock or restricted stock units. I, I can also refer to them as RSUs. Great. Take it away. So, it, you know, before we, before we move on, and I thought that it would be a little easier to bring on Jacob LaRue today. So a colleague with me, he's been a, a financial planner with my firm now for a number of years. Got a good amount of expertise in the equity compensation area. It, it seemed like it'd be a little easier for him to help facilitate the conversation. We'll go back and forth. He's got some experience in client scenarios that that I haven't had and, and vice versa. And so Jacob, welcome to the welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm excited to be here and talk about some some fun equity comp involving restricted stock and RSUs. So um I think we'll we'll teach a, a lot of good people a lot of good things today. So very good. Well, why don't we just start off with the big picture idea of what what are these and how do they work? What, what do we even talk about? So I kind of alluded to it in the in the intro, but again, it's a form of equity compensation, generally to either the stock or something that tracks the stock. Simpler form, 
unlike stock options, there are fewer benefits that we have to, I'm sorry, uh, choices that you have to make as you're, as you're dealing with these, these equity comp units. The, the main thing is, is that we get a lot of questions around how the taxes work, even though at first it seems simple. Um, I think they're getting confused sometimes people when they ask us questions about how options work and, and other mechanisms. So we'll go over the tax issues, but generally taxes are due or you're going to owe taxes when you vest in these securities. You'll be given these securities as a, as a benefit on something called a grant date. There's no uh, implication at that point. You actually don't have to pay any taxes until you invest in those securities. And when you do vest that the taxes are due similar to wages, but they're not, there's some issues with how the tax withholding works that's different than wages. So that's something we, we have to look at later. Jacob, talk yeah. about how the value is determined and and some of the key components that we have to have to right. know. Yeah. So the main thing that as a person receiving these types of equity comp in the form of RSUs, you're definitely going to want to pay attention to your equity comp incentive plan agreement or stock option agreement if you have one, or even your offer letter sometimes from a new job. Um, these will all have key details about what you actually own, whether it's restricted stock or RSUs and kind of the details that we'll need um, as far as grant dates and investing schedule. But for example, you know, you might be wondering, like, how do I determine my value? Well, it's pretty simple. You just take the number of shares that you were granted. And then on the vest date, there's going to be a price of that stock. And all you got to do is take the, the shares that are vested times that stock price and that's your value. That's a pre-tax number, but that's that's how you get to your gross value. And all those things, like I said, are going to be inside those key documents that you're going to want to pay attention to. And if if you need to request them from your HR department, you, you definitely need to do that. Yeah, it's it's that we always like to say, well, we need to know what you have. You know, it's it's uh when I, I can't tell you how many times we'll have a client come talk to us or a new client and say, hey, I've got these, I've got these stock options. What do I do with them? And you know, once we actually get the proper documents and, and delve into them, turns out there's something completely different. They're either restricted stock or maybe they're actually employee stock purchase plan shares. So the biggest thing, even though that sounds that sounds obvious, it, this stuff is confusing. And and there sometimes employees can have multiple versions of equity compensation. So you know, you really just need to delve into company plan as well as the grants and and really get to the bottom of it. I think the most common thing we hear from clients is I have stock options. And then right. that just that just opens up a whole field of what they might be. That's right. Exactly. Sometimes to get a clue, you know, if if it it could cut to the chase quicker is if you just log into where your company has told you to um to track these units or these um these securities. So let's just say that uh, maybe Fidelity handles your company's equity comp plan. And if you log in there, it, it might even just say on the on the title, as easy as that sounds, but that just gives you the clue what they are. Um, we still need to have those grant letters and then map them out. So just kind of high level, that's what we're dealing with first is that yeah. we have these securities that track your company's stock price. There's no ramifications when you first get granted these securities, but you're going to pay taxes on them like wages when they vest. So let's talk about Let's talk about maybe some vesting. Like, how do how does that work? What have you seen, Jacob, as one of the the yeah. more common ways that vesting works? 
Yeah, sometimes there's a four-year cliff is what it's called, where you'll get a certain percentage after the first 12 months. Maybe that's 25%. And then each month following that 12th month, you'll get uh, a number of shares vested too over the next three years. So that's that's that four-year cycle that's called a four-year cliff, essentially, where you become fully vested after those four years. There's other ones too. Sometimes you'll get it every every year, just on a certain date. Maybe it's Maybe it's annually or semi-annually at a certain time. So again, it just, you got to reference back your employee benefit package and those offer letters and grant letters. Yep. Yep. And I'll I'll just clarify something there too. I think you might've said a four-year cliff, but just to to be clear. So there could be, there can be a graded schedule that's usually called or or a a full cliff. And so I have seen some common scenarios where uh, you get nothing for a full, maybe it's three years and then all of it or it's a graded schedule and then it's got a combo kind of like mm-hmm. Jacob was alluding to there where maybe it takes four years to get all of your shares completely vested. But the first year it's a, it's a one year cliff or a 12 month cliff, you get 25%. And then after that, then more or less think of it as a, a little bit per month, almost prorated. Right. And the reason that this is really important is, is as simple as it sounds, is that you, you need to be able to map out each of the dates that some of these are going to come due just to be really clear of when the taxes are going to be due, when the stock is going to come available, make sure you know when you're going to be able to sell it to take advantage. And we'll talk about maximizing, you know, value of them later, but you have to have that, those dates mapped out as well as understand how much income is going to fall into one year versus another. So the vesting as sort of like simplistic as that seems, it's really important to, to kind of timeline out for yourself and know what it's going to look like. What if we hit on some advantages of these RSUs? Because there's definitely some advantages compared to some other forms of stock options. I agree. I think the biggest one is just that liquidity is easier. And when I say easier, I mean over some of the other forms, like let's say a stock uh, option, uh, whether that's incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options, even really the ESPP plan that we talked about in in a prior episode, there's some complexity of kind of when you can sell those and the ramifications and so forth. With restricted stock, it's pretty straightforward. As we've been mentioning, nothing happens at grant, but then at your first vest, they're available. You can sell them the next day. End of story. And and it's it's as simple as that. The taxes are are then also more straightforward too, because it just the taxes due are going to be based on the value of the restricted stock units or restricted stock that comes that comes vested and. It, you just think of it as getting an, another paycheck of that size, and and that's how your that's how your taxes are going to work. Another advantage really is that that the planning can be a little le- less complex. Just back to there's fewer choices, and there's it's usually all going to occur within the same year. Where other forms of equity compensation, particularly with uh, incentive stock options, it might bridge a couple of calendar years, and that can make things a little trickier. Right. Yep. And I think on the same, you know, the flip side of that kind of is. Because there's some easier decisions here, it also provides you with less options when you get these types of equity comp. So RSUs, you know, yeah, you, you kind of have to realize that income that year. You can't defer it really in, in many circumstances. And then there's some tax withholding issues that we'll talk about here in a second that just create a little more complexity. And tax withholding should be pretty straightforward, but anytime you have equity comp, it, it makes it a challenge. So next, I think one of the things that we were doing when we were prepping for this this episode is we kind of went out to Google and just kind of searched what are the common questions that some of our clients and pro- prospective clients 
are searching on Google when it comes to RSU compensation and just equity comp in general. But so we're going to hit on a few of those today and it's going to be just kind of back and forth here for, for a little bit, but let's start with just how are they taxed? Um, you mentioned they're kind of taxed like wages, but can you go into a little more detail there, Matt? Really just think of them as think of them as ordinary income, at least the initial value. Okay. So it kind of, I, I'm jumping ahead here on our on our script, but uh, or the the idea of taxed twice comes up um, with this with this question. So so first of all, their their taxes ordinary income initially. This question about are they taxed quite uh, twice? Why why that get, comes up a lot on Google is because if you hold them after they vest, you don't sell them right away. Then you are going to be potentially subject to more taxation. Okay, that isn't necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it changes the nature. So initially, when the when the stock is vested, the value becomes ordinary income. Uh, immediately after that, if you're still holding the shares, if you don't sell them right away, they now become a capital asset. And so now that means that you're going to either have short or long-term capital gains or losses, one of the two. So they don't really get taxed twice. It's just that they change to something completely different once they vest. Now it's just like holding stock. And so it's a different story. Right. Yeah. You're literally getting stock and if you decide to hold it, now it becomes a type of investment that you may have to pay taxes on. Definitely feels like you'd be intact twice though. Like yeah. if you if you get done and get the end of the year and then you get your 1099 from your broker and and you look at it like, I already paid taxes on this. I don't understand, but that's that's what's happening. Right. So ordinary income, does that mean that it's going to show up on my W-2? Right. It's just going to, this is, it makes it super easy. All this comp is going to just show up on the W-2. There isn't a separate box necessarily to just separate it out and say, this is your restricted stock income. It just all flows into the same section as your wages. It's subject to FICA, which means it's really the the Medicare and social security taxes, your payroll taxes, but it's, it's not, this question comes up as well. So is it subject to AMT? And that's, Maybe Jacob, you want to touch on that too. It's yeah. it's like uh, like a sort of. <laughs> yeah, I would say indirectly it might, just depending on the rest of your compensation, because AMT takes a look at your whole compensation, not just your ordinary income, but your whole bucket of income streams. So depending on how much uh, RSU compensation you get, you might get pushed into AMT, but but directly most of the time you're not gonna you're not going to. So it's more of an indirect consequence. Yep. And then one of the other common questions is, are RSUs subject to different tax rates on the withholding side at all? Right. Yeah. And this is the, the answer. The simple answer is that the taxes are the same, but the withholding is what becomes confusing. So wages get taxed at regular income brackets and your payroll department has you know some formulas to run through. If you have a certain salary, they do withholding on your wages under that formula. You can update your your W-4 to have more or less withholding and so forth. And all of that affects just your wages, but the restricted stock and the RSUs, again, two different types, but those fall under, or the income from those fall under a supplemental withholding rate. And now all that means is it's a different set of brackets. So it's a flat withholding at either 22% or 37%. That's the, that's the default levels. So if you don't pay attention to this, most people are going to have incorrect amount of withholding on their restricted stock units and mean, incorrect meaning it's not matching what their total taxes are going to be at the end of the year. Do you want to add any, any 
additional explanation of that, Jacob? I think really that will be something that we touch on in a, a future episode, probably just some some of the downside and risk there. But mainly, it is you know it could be different than your normal withholding on a, da- a daily paycheck type of thing. So RSUs, the tax withholding is going to be different and that's going to create some tax withholding issues for the rest of your income. That's the big idea there, I think. That's right. And I think it comes up a lot because people wonder why do they have this huge tax bill at tax time? Like, I, you know, my restricted stock came, came due, is vested. There was withholding done. They see that happen actually in the background. They think it's all taken care of. And they take the the money and spend it like a bonus, and then tax time comes around and they have a giant tax bill. And so this is this is really at the core of that issue is that the supplemental withholding rates are different than their wage withholding. They don't match, and if you don't pay attention, it can it can be a real challenge for you. Right, exactly. Now, let's say I became vested in my RSUs recently. Can I sell them right away or? Is there some some holding period requirements? You know, the short answer is yes. You you can sell them right away. That's pretty much all there is to it. That, and yeah. and we've been alluding to that that the trigger is the vest. And if you sell them right away, end of story. If you don't sell them right away, turns into something completely different. So yes, you can sell them right away. What if you're at a private company and it's pre-IPO? How, if possible, can you sell them? Yeah, this one's tricky because the the answer is I wouldn't expect that you could sell them. But sometimes, depending on the size of the, the private company, there may be an internal market for those, a, a way to exchange. But it, but they're not, keep in mind, it's a it's a not a publicly traded company. It's a private company. So by definition, there's no stock market. If there's not an internal pool, you're basically stuck with them until an event occurs where the stock is either publicly traded or it, 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 there's a merger with some other company. So yep. and that, that'll come into some mistakes later because- with private companies, it's a whole different ballgame of how you treat these restricted stock uh, and RSUs. Right. Yeah. The one thing I'll add on the private side is because they're they're not a liquid market, because it's going to be a private market, there's probably going to be some some type of transaction cost there too. So even if it's available, it might be a little more costly than it would be at a public company. That's a good add. Yep. Yeah. What about transferability? Can we transfer our RSUs? To each other or someone, charity or anything like that? Yeah, basically the answer is no. Until they vest, they're not really something you can think of as owning. So that's the simplest answer. Until they vest, no. What about expiration? Do these RSUs that I have have an expiration date? Well, really the answer is no, but there's a sort of response when it comes to private companies. So first of all, in, in a public company, the easiest form here, no, they don't expire like a stock option. You don't have a grant date that you have to uh, expiration date to worry about. If you leave, if you leave the company, you lose them all. You lose what's not vested. So in that sense, that could be part of the what's behind this question that that comes to Google. But in a private company, you're dependent on that company to be public at some point. Uh, so you can actually sell the stock. If they don't go public before you leave, then yes, they'd expire on you, so to speak. But it's not technically expiration. Can my stock RSUs increase or decrease in value? Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's totally stock price driven. So with a publicly traded company, just look at the stock price. That's you're going to follow that up and down. With private companies, you're going to have to pay attention to something called a 409A letter, 409A valuation. And really that's depends on the private company that, that could be sort of infrequent. Hopefully you'd see one once a year or at major events. So they can, yes, they can lose value. How you pay attention to what the value is 
it's just more it's more difficult when it's not publicly traded. Right. Yeah. And those those valuations aren't as frequent as some may think they are. So right, um, right. Public public information you can see every day. Private information is a little more hidden. What about acceleration? If I have RSUs that are coming vested next year, but I but I want to pay the tax today, is there a way that I can do that? Well, that's a, yeah, that's a good one. So there's a there's a couple of different items going on here. When you have restricted stock, and this is a difference with restricted stock units, which is why I keep saying both terms because it it is different. With restricted stock, you may have an election you can make, um, an 83B election is what it's called, that allows you to act as if they're vested right away. Now, you have to do this within 30 days of the grant date. So let's just imagine that you get hired at a private company, because it's typically going to happen at a private company. Part of your offer is some restricted stock. Within 30 days of getting that grant for that stock, you can make this 83B election. You'll then be able to treat that as being vested right away and pay the taxes all in that year. Why would you want to do that? Well, because usually in an early stage company, the valuation isn't very big and you're hoping that it's going to be huge later. So you'd rather pay the tax on a small valuation today. And then later when you've actually are truly vested in these these shares and could sell them, all that gain then can get taxed at capital gains rates. So it, in a way, you can accelerate the vesting using this this feature, this 83B. What could also be behind that question though is, is uh, if you, let's say, retire or there's a disability, some plans will allow you to accelerate the vesting so that you can not lose out on your stock, uh, your restricted stock. Right. And all that information will be typically in your, your grant uh, details and equity compensation plan summary. So those are the key details that we we need to pay attention to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I think the other questions, let's see here. Can RSUs be taken away if I'm vested? You know, why don't you tackle that, Jacob? Yeah. So typically, no. Um, If you're vested, the RSUs are going to be yours. There are some situations that if you do something really bad, maybe the company can have some consequences there. But typically when you get vested, those are going to be your shares and you get to decide what to do with them. They can have some some sticky points when you choose to leave employment though. So if you're vested in some RSUs, there might be a 90-day window to act on them before something else happens. So again, those those key documents that we keep referencing are going to have those details that uh that will lay those rules out for you. Well, this is good and we could go on for for quite a while talking about, you know, the nuances of this, but I think hopefully that was a reasonable overview of how some of this works. Some of our, a lot of our listeners are going to be familiar with some of these key concepts and, and other pieces. Maybe it'll just be good reference, uh, just good reminder of, of what to look for. We do have a couple of articles we want to link to in the, in the show notes that provide, I think, a good overview of how some of this works from Harvard. Harvard Business Review has a good article uh, we'll put the link in there. Otherwise, if you have questions, you can certainly reach out to us and be happy to answer them for you. That's it. So, you know, if you want to, uh, if you don't want to lose out on the value of your your restricted stock units, you know, the value they they can provide, just make sure you you understand what you own, have some sort of strategy, tax strategy in place, and uh, you know, make sure you've you've mapped out how you're going to capture the value for them. Terrific. Thank you, guys. That that's an interesting conversation. Part two of this is coming up. And the way you don't miss part two is you hit the subscribe button. (laughs) 
That way you are automatically subscribed to this podcast and it is delivered to you automatically. But before we go, after you've hit that subscribe button, Matt, how can people get a hold of you when they want to reach out and talk to you and maybe pursue this in a more detailed kind of way? Let's start with our website. It, it's uh, The address is www.perspective6group.com, the number six. And actually out on the website, on our blog, we've got some articles out there, several of them that Jacob has written actually about RSUs. Uh, one of them I think would be particularly relevant. It's called should I hold my RSUs after vesting? We'll link that in the show notes as well. And and if you're if you're out there, you can also check out a, a white paper we've done on on how to maximize your Medtronic 401k plan. So not exactly related, but also uh, just some good information for you. Feel free to reach us on the phone though as well nine five two 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 five zero three three three. Most importantly, if you've got ideas for for the show, we're collecting them all the time from listeners. Email us at mwapodcast at focusfinancial.com. The MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast, so mwapodcast at focusfinancial.com. That's fantastic. And before we go and we wrap this episode up, what are we what are we looking at in the next episode? We are gonna we're gonna continue this uh, conversation, but we're gonna focus on how to maximize the value of the RSUs. So with a little bit of a framework, we're gonna look at well, okay, now what? What what do we do with them? How do we not take too much risk and so forth? Excellent. Everybody, remember, hit the subscribe button so that you're here for that part of the conversation. All right. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate that. On behalf of Matt, I'm Bill Tucker, reminding you to do not wait. Get out there and live your best life now, today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the MedTech Wealth Advisor podcast. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.perspective6group.com or give us a call toll free at 888-591-9770 or locally at 952-225-0333. And don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of Osaic Wealth, Inc., and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Investment advisory, insurance, and financial planning services offered through Focus Financial, Inc. Securities offered through Osaic Wealth, Inc. Member, FINRA forward slash SIPC. Osaic Wealth is separately owned and other entities and or marketing names, products, or services mentioned here are independent of Osaic Wealth.